All right, guys, grab your Bibles. Turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis, thanks, guys. Genesis chapter 15. Um, You know, from time to time, I will get feedback from pastors or I'll get it from pastors and ministers through the grapevine that uh, basically goes along the lines of maybe I don't 100% know what Sunday morning is for. Uh, Sunday morning, a lot of times, is viewed as an opportunity to, to take a passage of scripture and then just try to make some devotional application to the lives of people. And uh, I don't know, I mean, I'm not against that, but uh, I think it's important that, that you understand what the Bible is teaching what good doctrine is, that you understand it and that you're able to apply it to your life. Now, having said that, uh, we're, we're investing the word of God in the lives of people all over the spectrum, all over stages of spiritual growth. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking deep into some, some, some you know, maybe, maybe some technical aspects of scripture and, and some of the stuff might go over your head and that's okay, right? It didn't go over somebody else's head that's been coming for a while and they've been learning and they've been studying and, and so my counsel to you would be have an open Bible, right? Something to take notes with. Be willing to, to, to get what we're getting from the word of God this morning. Review it later on in the week and, and the, the way the Bible says that we learn, it's here little, there little. It's line upon line, line upon line. We learn the word of God as we compare scripture with scripture. Does that make sense? And so, um, you, man, just turn to your neighbor and, and tell them, um, you're smarter than some pastors think you are. Or, or maybe it's, you're not as dumb as some pastors think you are. Or maybe it's, maybe it's uh, you're smarter than the average pastor. I don't know, I mean, just, let's, uh, let's encourage one another to get what God has for us. Uh, It's like that joke, you know, somebody said, man, you're not as dumb as, you're not as dumb as you look. And the guy says, you know, I'd have to be smarter than than I look. I mean, you know, some of us, the way we learn, it's like, (laughs) it's a blank make it looks. We need to pray, okay, because at the end of all of it, the Bible is a spiritual book. You can learn facts and information about the Bible through, through just, you know, carnal wisdom and, and uh, logic and reason. You, there's a lot you can learn about the Bible, but except the Holy Spirit opens the word of God to us, we're not gonna hear from the Lord, okay? So let's pray. Father, we need you. Lord, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you'd help us to be able to receive your word this morning. And, and Lord, there will be things that will go over some heads. And, and, um, and Lord, we just ask that the, the, the areas that you want to minister in our life, that you would meet us in your word and that we would hear from you, that we'd have your promises over our life and that, Lord, uh, we'd be richly blessed as a result. And so, Father... I just ask that you take the weakness of my flesh and my stumbling lips and you just set all of that aside and, and that you'd speak to us through your word, through its truth, to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here in Genesis chapter 15, we are seeing God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, it will be, we'll see, extended to, to Isaac and Jacob and the nation of Israel. 
but it's an Abrahamic covenant that we're gonna be looking at. In verses one through six, we're gonna see the promise of Abram's family. Verse one says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house, and my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he, God, brought him, Abram, he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he, Abram, he believed in the Lord and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, he counted it to him for righteousness. So here in this passage, there are some incredible truths that we need to get, but I don't want you to miss the first picture in verse one and verse four. The word of the Lord came unto Abram. Verse four, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this is the first mention of the word of the Lord in your Bible. It's the first mention of the word of the Lord in the word of the Lord. And so I want you to see that. And what comes with that is this incredible picture. It's a beautiful illustration. Verse one says, after these things, the word of the Lord came into Abram in a vision saying what? Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. That's the first mention. So by process of deduction, when the word of the Lord comes to you, what do you have? What do you find when you have the word of the Lord? I'll tell you what, you don't find fear. The first example is fear not. What you find is God himself is your shield and your reward. He is an exceeding great reward. So what do you get when you get the word of God? Man, if you got the word of God, you got everything. You've got God himself. God was Abram's reward. And so the picture there is the believer is adopted into God's family, into the life of God. He becomes a member of Christ himself. You say, prove it. Okay, Ephesians 5, verse 30. The Bible says we, as believers in Jesus Christ, what are we? We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I get to be a part. I'm a, I have a place in the life of Christ. I'm a part of his body. Where am I? I'm in Christ. I'm adopted into his life. He, I am his, and he is mine. See, if you have the word of the Lord, you've got everything you need. You've got God himself. He, he is your shield. He's your protection. And he is your exceeding great reward. Now, the danger today is not paying attention to the word of the Lord. I mean, God himself, the creator of the cosmos, is speaking to us. And most of, it, most of us, when we consider the word of God, it comes with a yawn because this is far more exciting. You see this? perfectly packaged little, I mean, it's, it's like a little demonic portal <laughs> to capture your heart, your mind, your imagination. The way, the way they design these things is there's these little, uh, like these little dopamine hits, you know, as you, as you work through your apps and you're using this thing. They program it so that you get addicted to it, so that you want, you know, you'll feel like you accomplish things on it, whether it's some dumb game that is actually a way for ton of people to advertise to you all kinds of products you don't need. And, and I think I've mentioned this before. 
Um, the thing that gets me is all the little videos where they'll build a house in five minutes. They'll time lapse a house. A whole, I mean, build a whole deck, a whole house or whatever. Build a tiny home, a cabin in the woods. And the whole thing happens in just a few minutes. And at the end of it, it's like, man, that was cool. That was so amazing. I mean, you kind of, you, you live vicariously through their accomplishment. Look what I did in five minutes. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And down the rabbit hole you go. And, and uh, for whatever reason, you know, Facebook and, and all the apps know that that floats my boat. And so they just keep showing me these videos. And if I'm not paying attention, right, I could spend all of my time watching what? Nothing. We trade out a relationship with God, the word of the Lord over our lives for trinkets, for trash. That's the danger today. Selling out our relationship with him for junk that, that, man, engage in the word. Fear not, he is yours, you are his, he is your reward. Now, here's the other thing that I want you to see from this first section in in chapter 15. Verse two gives the first critical question that Abram asks. What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? My servant is my heir. Verse four, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him again, saying, this servant, right, Eleazar, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And so the second picture that I want you to get from Genesis chapter 15 is that heirship, not like A-I-R, but an heir, like an heir of a family estate, an heir of a position of title or rule. Heirship is based on sonship. It's based on relationship. Uh, That's how this works. Your servant will not be your heir. Your seed will be your heir. That's the promise here in chapter 15. And the same thing's true today. Aren't we called the sons of God? That's who we are. Romans chapter eight tells you, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of adoption again to fear, so fear not. You are God's, God is yours. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy, it's this intimate name for Father, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then what? Heirs. Heirs of God. See, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're doomed to an eternity with him. If, you are a, if you're born again into God's family, you will spend eternity with him. You are an heir of God. You will spend forever with him in heaven. And that's an unconditional promise. All believers have that. It doesn't matter. I mean, theoretically, let's just say you get saved and then you waste the entire rest of your life living full out all for yourself. It's very hard, it's very difficult for a born again believer to do that, why? Because when a person believes on Christ, Christ invades them. Christ dwells in your heart by faith. You become a new creature in Christ. Your old life passes away. Your want to's change. It's very, actually very difficult for a born again child of God to only think of, only care for, only live for themselves. Uh, the person, the word of God, the spirit of God, they're at work in the life of the believer. It's very difficult for a child of God just to continue in sin that grace, that grace might abound. Uh, but that's the, that's the thing. Let's just say you could get saved and then completely waste your life only living for yourself. Well, I'll give you an example. 
The prodigal son never lost his sonship. Uh, Why? He had a place. He had relationship with the father. He wanted his inheritance and he wasted it. And when there was no place found for him, he went back to his father and he was received. You are an heir of God. Now, in terms of our dispensation, we're faithful steward. Uh, a faithful stewardship is required. First uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse two tells you, Christian, if you're a child of God, if you're in relationship with God, you're a steward of God, and 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 as a steward, it's required of you that you be found faithful. So, in our dispensation, faithful stewardship is required, and that's why Romans eight goes on to say that we're joint heirs with Christ. Christ has an heirship, right? He rules and reigns. Well, you'll rule and reign with him, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So, you know, at the end of the day, what you have to do as a believer in Jesus Christ is take up your cross and follow. You have to follow him. You have to follow him not according to how you think or feel or your changing circumstances. You follow him according to what... He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We follow Christ according to his word in the work that he's called us to. And if you're willing to lay down your life in service to Christ, you'll rule and reign with him in his kingdom. But don't miss the fact, so that that part of heirship is conditional on your service. The relationship that you have with the Father and in eternity with him in heaven, that's unconditional. Every born again believer gets God as father. Again, the prodigal son, messed up bad, never lost his position as a son of his father. So I'll give you that as homework. Now, notice Abraham's asking a legitimate question. And so questions, when they're asked in faith, like the question Abram is asking here, they're never begrudged the child of God. Uh, that is true then, it's true now. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. God's not gonna begrudge you having need, asking of him. John 16, 24, hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, asking ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. So Abram's asking a question. Okay, so, okay God, you're my shield, my exceeding great reward. I'm not supposed to be afraid, okay. What are you gonna give me seeing I don't have this child that you promised me back in chapter 12? I go childless and it looks like Eleazar's gonna get everything. So the answer to this question, just like so many questions in church, if you have a question in church and you don't know the answer, the best guess answer to give is what? Jesus. That's basically the answer that God's giving him. When we get to Isaac, Isaac is actually the answer to this question. Your seed is going to be your heir. Isaac, we find out, is almost, he's not a perfect type of Christ, but he's pretty close. He is a great, he's a beautiful type of Christ, and we'll see that very clearly in Genesis chapter 22. He comes as a type of Christ through what is effectively a death and a resurrection uh, after three days. So God makes sure that you learn about Christ through the seed of Abraham, Isaac. So next, look at verse five. God now brings Abram forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. That word tell means count, count the stars. How did I know that? Well, that's, you know, I know that because I I looked it up. I looked it up in my Bible and I looked it up in my dictionary and, 
and tell is Old English for count. Tell the stars, count the stars, and I know that because the context defines it. Tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said to them, so shall thy seed be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. So tell means count those, see if you can count the stars, number them. So that definite, anytime you come to a word you don't understand in your King James Bible, 99% of the time, that word will be defined in the context where it's found. If you'll just pay attention as you're reading, you're gonna get the definition of those words. If you miss it, no problem. This is why God gave us dictionaries. You can look it up. And if you'll do that, right, for three or four months, five or six months, let's say you're slow, it might take you nine or 10 months, okay? You will be reading and understanding your King James Bible. So this is typical in scripture. The meaning of words are defined by their usage. Now there's an inspirational application uh, with counting the stars, telling the stars, and let's just think about it in terms of how we use the word tell today. Uh, Talk, talk, talk to the, tell the stars. Well, there's a story, okay, if we ever offer this, from time to time, we'll offer this class in LFBI. It's called the Gospel in the Stars. I'm just putting this bug in your ear. The next time we offer Gospel in the Stars, you wanna take that class because what is amazing and shocking is the story of the Gospel of Jesus Christ really is written in the stars. And you wanna, I mean, it's a great way to share the Gospel with people. Anybody that's interested in astronomy, you can, you've got an open door to give them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell the stars to a lost and dying world. Uh, can a man change his stars? Well, absolutely, if you'll listen to what they say. Can you change your destiny? You remember the story, uh, that was a movie, it was really popular, uh, the, you know, the dad and the kid are talking. Can a man change his stars? A Knight's Tale, that's what it was. That's the one with the, uh, medieval um, um, uh, combat, you know, it's like a medieval combat Olympics and they had the rock and roll soundtrack to it, if I remember right, and so, can a man change his stars? Absolutely, if you'll listen to their message. Uh, Your eternal destiny will be changed uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, verse six, I want you to zero in there. Abraham gets full of faith and he just believes the word of the Lord. It says he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. So this is the first mention, verse six is the first mention of the terms for salvation. Genesis 15, six gives you three new words in scripture. Number one is believe, number two is counted, and the third one is righteousness. And the New Testament confirms this in its reckoning of this account in Galatians chapter three and verse six. Talking about this exact moment in time, Paul tells the church at Galatia, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, it was given to him, it was reckoned on his account. It was counted, accounted to him for righteousness. So get this down in your notes and this is critical to understand. Righteousness is always reckoned in return for faith. Did you get that? God reckons someone righteous in return for their belief, their faith in his word. So what that means is salvation is always an exchange. 
Salvation is an exchange. So what does that look like today in the age of grace? Well, for the New Testament Christian, Christ took our sin, right? Christ takes the believer's sin and the believer receives his righteousness. Whenever you believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ, in other words, there was a time when you recognized that your sin really did justly, rightly separate you from God and that the wages, the penalty for that sin was death and you did the math on that and you recognized here you are a finite individual that it would take you an eternity in hell to pay off your sin debt to an infinite, eternal, all righteous, all knowing, all powerful, all in all being. You will spend eternity paying the penalty of the wages of your sin. And you then heard the good news that God himself became your substitute. He died in your place. The infinite God took the sin that you and I committed He did none of it, yet he was reckoned our sin at the cross of Calvary and suffered the wrath of God over the wrong, the evil that we committed. He died in our place, satisfying God's wrath over our sin. He died for our sin. He was buried in the grave for three days, three nights. On the third day, he arose to eternal life. And when you call on him for salvation, because he is alive, because he lives, he heard you and you're born again. You become a child of God by faith. So what Christ did is he took our sin and in belief on him, in belief on the good news of the gospel, the word of the Lord, we're made righteous. The exchange is enacted upon the faith of the believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. So now, that's amazing because that's the greatest trade ever to happen in the history of everything. That I can, that I, that that God would take my sin on my belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, on my faith in Christ as my sin bearer, and in return, he would give me his righteousness. So get this down in your notes. Justification, this is what Adam, or this is what Abram knew. Justification before God, it's the same both in the Old and the New Testaments. How? How is a man justified before God? Well, it's through faith in God's word. Abraham believed God and God counted that belief in the word of the Lord to Abram as righteousness. So God's saying, no, 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 man, Eleazar's not getting it all. You're gonna have a baby. That baby will be your heir. Check out the stars. That's what your seed's gonna be like. Okay, God, I believe you. And God said, Abram, That is one righteous dude. Because he believed him, he believed God. God reckoned him righteous. So now let's check out what happened here in Genesis 15 from Romans four. Paul talks to the believers in Rome about Genesis 15. And what we find out is that both Abraham before the law and then later David under the law were both justified by faith without works. Romans 1, or Romans 4, verse 1 says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. Because he was such a good dude, he was justified before God. Well, no, there's none good. No, not one. In the flesh, no man is justified before God. So Abraham can't brag. For what saith the scripture? 
What does Genesis 15, 6 say? Well, Abraham believed God, and that belief, it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, that's before the law. Abraham believed in the word of the Lord, and God reckoned him, gave him his righteousness. Now, to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Uh, a, a man who is working is trying to pay his way to righteousness, right? He's trying to work off his sin debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's just, just his belief in the word of the Lord makes it just as if he'd never sinned. It's counted for righteousness, just like David, verse six. Even as David, now he's under the law, also described the blessedness of man, unto whom the Lord reckons, there's that word again, imputeth, counts, gives, right? God imputeth righteousness without work, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Man, is anybody blessed today? I'm so grateful that the Lord did not impute my sin to me, but he reckons me his righteousness. Every time I turn around, man, I'm stepping in it. The, oh, wretched man that I am, who will, who will deliver me from the body, right? This body of sin, this body of iniquity, these sins of the flesh. Well, God doesn't see me in my works. He doesn't see me in my ability to do right or to do good. He sees me in Christ. Man, I'm so glad that God does not impute to me, reckon to me my sin, what he imputes, what he reckons, what he accounts, what he's decided is I have his righteousness. I am so grateful. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. How many are blessed today? Most of us, some of us aren't saved. It's, the day's not over yet, we'll get there. Okay, James two twenty three, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and here it is again, it was imputed unto him, it was counted, accounted, reckoned unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And, and another cross reference for you there on that is 1 Corinthians 1.30. This is good news, and everybody needs to hear it. This is why we have to, this is why we have to tell the, the gospel in the stars, right? This is why we need to preach the good news. We need to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to give people the word of the Lord. Romans 10 says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, verse 13. But how are they gonna get saved if they can't believe? And they're not gonna be able to believe unless they hear the preaching. And nobody's gonna be preaching unless they're sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then, here it is, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to give the gospel so that people can believe the word of the Lord so that God will then reckon them his righteousness. That's how it works. Okay, now, chapter 15, verses seven through 10, we'll see the basis of Abram's faith. And this passage will give us a second critical question that Abram has for the Lord. Pay attention, we'll read it. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur the Chaldees to give this land, to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Abram's asking his second question, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? 
And so it comes, this covenant, through the dividing of animals. Watch this. He said unto him, take me an heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. So this covenant that God's making with Abram, the basis for that covenant is by the dividing of animals. Now, this is the answer to this second question. It's this covenant. Uh, God makes it with Abram in the rest of this chapter, okay? And it's, the basis is on this sacrifice. The covenant is made on the sacrifice of five animals. Each of them will later on in scripture become five types of sacrifice offered in the law. And all of these sacrifices picture different aspects of the work of Christ as our sacrifice. All of the animals picture Christ except the birds, right, the doves. The doves are not, the birds, the doves aren't divided because they, these clean birds, are a picture of the Holy Spirit, so they're not divided. The others, though, are divided in sacrifice. Now, this list of animals in verse nine, notice they're all three years old, so these are all animals in their prime. They're at the peak of maturity and strength, just like Jesus at his death. He died at 33 years of age, 33 years of age is when a man hits his prime. He's fully developed physically, but also mentally, emotionally. Uh, He is at the apex of his strength. They're all clean animals. These sacrifices are clean animals. These picture the sinlessness of Christ in his sacrifice. But now notice the terms of the covenant. Okay, so God's making a covenant on the basis of the shedding of innocent blood. Okay, the terms of this covenant, as we look at the passage, we'll find out it's eternal and unconditional. And God wants it to be received, so much so he reconfirms this covenant by an oath. And in doing so, he's giving his word. Uh, You see that in Genesis 22. He reaffirms his covenant and gives his oath to Abraham. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. He's giving his oath. By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and it's not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, here it is again, as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. And again, we'll talk about this when we get to chapter 22, but the, the seed of Abraham being as the dust of the ground or the sand, that's a picture of the physical descendants of Abraham. It's gonna be a mighty nation, a great people. And then the stars of heaven picture his spiritual descendants Um, We read about that in the book of Romans. Um, We sing about it in Kidtown. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So what are we gonna do? Let's just praise the Lord. Right? So again, God reconfirms this covenant. He swears again to Isaac and to Jacob. 
Um, despite their acts of disobedience. I mean, man, we'll read about these guys. They're both a piece of work. Uh, in Genesis 26, there's another famine in the land, and Isaac, uh, God tells him, don't go down to Egypt, but instead, Genesis 26, 3, sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee, for thee and unto thy seed will I give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Right, God's giving his oath that he swore to Abraham, he's reconfirming it to Isaac, and then to Jacob again in chapter 28 and verse three. God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. What the New Testament says about this oath that God makes to Abraham, it calls it immutable, immutable. That's your next blank. Hebrews 6.13 says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. Uh, and then Paul explains it in verse 16, for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing to sh- more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an earth, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Immutable means you don't, it can't be changed. It is set like, it is unchangeable. You can't reset it, you can't change its direction, it cannot be changed. So two immutable things. One, God keeps his promises. So he gives his counsel and then he swears. He gives his oath. So I don't know who needs to hear this, but you need to know that our God is a promise-keeping God. Uh, sometimes what people will do is they'll believe God and then they'll get to looking at their circumstances and they'll think that God's abandoned them or forgotten them. Hello, somebody. 2 Timothy 1.12 tells you that he's able to keep what you committed to him against the day. Paul says, I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Do you believe that God can present you faultless? I mean, I believe he's that much God. Romans 8, 28, what's going on in your life? Well, it's looking pretty grim. Having a rough time, Pastor. Well, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Look down in verse 35. What's gonna separate you from the love of, what, what is gonna separate you from the love of Christ? Can anything No matter how bad, no matter how rough your circumstances, can anything separate you from the love of Christ? Look down in verse 39. No, nothing, nothing can separate you. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God's working all things together for our good. That's what my Bible tells me. And I've learned, I've I've mentioned this before, I'll keep saying it, I've learned that hard times, rough times, well, those are times that God uses to work out the good pleasure of his will in my life. These are times that drive me to scripture, they drive me to prayer, they drive me to trust. I gotta decide, am I gonna trust the Lord or not? 
what God himself has declared or sworn over you, brother, sister, he's gonna do it. He keeps his promises, he cannot lie. Then in verses 11 through 21, I want us to see the brightness of Abram's future. Um, Most of what we're gonna see here is dark, but there is brightness in Abram's future. Verse 11, when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Well, there's a picture right there. Here's Abram with his sacrifice before the Lord. God is is giving this covenant on the basis, his promises are on the basis of this sacrifice. So Abram is all about it. He's following in this worship. And then the fowls come. Well, don't miss the picture. Satan is always gonna mess with God's promises over your life. He's gonna always work to foul your worship and devotion. So you have to drive away the distraction and the adversaries. Abram drove these foul away. How do we do that? Well, man, get your shield of faith up. Right? Make sure those lies of Satan, those, those fouls of the principalities of the power of the air fall on deaf ears. Stand fast. Hold fast to the promises of God's word. Um, resist the devil. He'll flee from you, right? Uh, you just gotta know, Satan's gonna always be working to undermine your worship, your devotion. Verse 12, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. I thought we were talking about the brightness of Abram's future. Okay, we'll get there. And horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they, those, those, that, that land that they're in, it's the land of Egypt, they shall afflict them 400 years. They'll be in slavery for 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Okay, so what we're seeing here is a hard future, a difficult future for this nation that's gonna be formed from Abram. Uh, God's basically saying they're gonna go into bondage in Egypt. They're gonna be in Egypt for 430 years, And what will happen is, here in Genesis 15, it says they shall afflict them 400 years. But in Galatians 3.17, the Bible Bible talks about this time as 430 years. So how do you solve that? Well, Acts 7.6 gives you the solution to this apparent contradiction. God spake on this wise that Abram's seed, his seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring them into, into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. So there it is again. Uh, they shall afflict them 400 years, Genesis 15, 13. What, what, are we, what are we seeing? Israel is in Egypt as a nation for 430 years, but 400 of that is where the tide has turned and the Jewish people are being persecuted and they end up in slavery uh, in, in Egypt. Okay, so here's how it's described. It says, lo, this great horror of darkness, it's a horror of darkness falls upon Abram. It descends on Abram. That's a picture of this time that his descendants are going to be spending in slavery in Egypt. So it's a type, 
The picture there is one of the great tribulation. It's a type of tribulation. Now the promise is that they'll return in the fourth generation with great substance, and that's exactly what happens. Uh, You guys know the story. Um, I got it on flannel graphs, and today people get it in, in, in PowerPoint presentations. It's all the same stuff, but, but what happens is, is God says, I've heard the cry of my people. They're, in, they're suffering in bondage and slavery, and so Moses comes and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh, basically, the way it, the, the story goes in Scripture is he doesn't want to let them go. Uh, that's his free labor force. I mean, he just... He's just getting everything. He's getting pyramids and cities and roads and infrastructure uh, for basically food and some huts, you know. And uh, so the plagues come and it's horrible. And it just keeps getting worse and worse to the point where they have to let him go. They can't bear it anymore. The plagues, the torture, the supernatural torture that's taking place in Egypt is unbearable. And so they're like, fine, take everything, just spare our lives. (laughs) And uh, the Bible talks about Israel in leaving the bondage of, Israel, of Egypt, they end up getting paid. For four generations of slave labor, they get their wages. Uh, they spoil the Egyptians on the way out. It's incredible. Everything that God told Abram that would happen, it happened exactly as he promised. So here's the big picture. Egypt, they became a superpower, a global superpower when the Jew served her. So how did that start? Well, Joseph was sold into slavery to an Egyptian. He was sold in slavery to Egypt. So his life pictures, it parallels exactly what's going to happen to the nation of Israel that follows him into Egypt. But it was through his service that Egypt becomes a superpower. Uh, God gave Joseph wisdom, God was with him. And when the, when the time of famine came after a time of seven years of great plenty, uh, God used Joseph to enrich Egypt and ultimately used those riches to buy the wealth of the world. At the end of those seven years of famine, there is only Egypt. They are the superpower of the civilized world. And then Egypt was judged, Egypt was destroyed as a superpower when God freed the Jew, the Jewish people. Um, So that's an incredible thing to to look at. Egypt thriving as a superpower when the Jew is serving her, destroyed as a superpower when God delivers the nation of Israel. Why? Well, because all Israel must be saved. God's covenant to Abram, it's unconditional. And that unconditional covenant, nothing has overturned it or voided it. It's still in effect for the Jewish people today. There is a time, a great horror of darkness that will fall on the Jewish people. It's called the time of great tribulation. And at the end of it, the Messiah will come and rescue them. Christ will rule on a throne from literal physical Israel, from literal physical Jerusalem, on a literal physical throne. And the way Romans 11 describes it, when that happens, Here's how the Bible, here's how the Bible describes, and so all Israel shall be saved. Why, because God's promise to Abraham, it's unconditional. I want you to get an overview of God's promises to Israel. And it comes as three major promises. What we're seeing here in Genesis 15 is God's covenant with Abram. Uh, He will multiply them, he will bless them, and make them a blessing to all the nations. 
But then God's covenant extends to Israel as a nation herself. And basically the way the covenant goes, it's outlined in the book of Deuteronomy. If they serve God faithfully, they prosper. If they forsake him, he disciplines them. They will face destruction. Again, you can see that outlined very clearly in the book of Deuteronomy. And then God's covenant with David and his promise to David is that David's family produces the Messiah who would reign over God's people forever. And that's succinctly outlined in Jeremiah 33, verses 17 through 26. But here's the key. Okay, this is what I want you to see in terms of the bigger picture. God selected Abram. And in Abram, he would bless him and glorify him. It's in Abram's family that the entire planet gets blessed. It's through Abram's line that the Messiah comes. The the skull crusher of Genesis 3.15 comes through Abram's line. So that's a principle that's universal throughout scripture. Any that God selects for his blessing will see his glory in their lives. Did you get that? So aren't we selected for God's blessing? As God's children, didn't he select us for his blessing? Well, then check out Romans 8, 29. He foreknew us. He saw us choose Christ before the foundation of the world. So he chose us right back to all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1. God made those decisions. So whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So, verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And that's the basic structure that you see. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. God decided Abram was the one that the Genesis 3.15 prophecy would be fulfilled through. So he calls him. Abram responds to that call. He believes the promises of God, so God justifies him, and then in him will all the nations of the world be blessed. So there it is, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Okay, verse 17, here it is. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces, so those chunks of sacrifice on this altar, this furnace, the smoking furnace and burning lamp passes between those pieces. Okay, so, so the, the fowl are coming after the basis of the covenant. Abram's worship before the Lord. And then this great horror of darkness falls and this prophecy that his, his children, this nation that's gonna come out of him, there's gonna be great suffering but ultimately glorification. So while trials are present, the smoking furnace and the burning lamp, they're still present, right? The light of the Spirit is there to sustain in the midst of tough times. The smoking furnace and the burning lamp line up with the pillar of fire and the cloud that God would use to guide Israel out of Egypt when he delivers them. Do you get that? There's smoking furnace, there's the pillar, the the cloud uh, that leads them, and then the burning lamp, the pillar of fire, there's a parallel there. Why? No matter how tough it is, God's light is always there to guide, always there to lead. God will be glorified in his people. Verse 18, in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, unto thy seed have I given this land. 
from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kizanites, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. That's a mouthful. Okay, in verses 19 through 20, these 10 nations, you'll see them summarized as three in Exodus 23. You'll see them based on you know, the, the leading nations. They'll be categorized as six in Exodus three and seven when they do the conquest in Joshua 24. But now, here's the deal. All of this is yours. Here's these 10 nations, their, their land, their city, everything that they have, it's yours. Okay, but you can't have it yet, why? Well, we saw already in verse 16, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. What does that tell us? Well, God's patient. Yeah, all of this is yours, but I can't give it to you, right? I mean, you're in the promised land and you're gonna live there and you're gonna die here, but you need to know the nation that I'm forging will be forged through trial. And while they're suffering affliction, the people that that they're gonna take the land from are gonna be earning those wages. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, today, Abraham, there's still hope for the uh, the Amorites. There's still hope for these nations. Okay, most of the nations are already just going off the cliff, especially the Rephaims. What's happening? Remember, Genesis 3.15, this first prophecy is a key key prophecy for uh, for Scripture. The seed of the woman is gonna destroy the serpent. He's gonna destroy Satan, Satan's hold over humanity. And so what Satan does is he attacks the seed of the woman. Cain kills Abel, Genesis six, sons of God, married daughters of men, and now Nephilim, chimeric, high giants are now dwelling in the land. The Bible says in Genesis six, all flesh is now corrupted before the Lord. Genesis six says it happened then and also after that. And that's exactly what we find whenever the Hebrew children come out of the nation of Egypt out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt and they go into the promised land, it's full of giants. Again, all flesh is being corrupted before the Lord. Well, at the time that God's giving these promises to Abraham, the Amorites hadn't gone over the edge yet. So it's not time for a total conquest. Does that make sense? It's the, their iniquity is not yet full. See, God's patient. I mean, maybe there needed to be an evacuation plan for the Amorites. Like there could have been hope, you know? God is not willing that any would perish. Well, same thing happens in the life of the believer. Look at verses 11 to 21 and you see God's people face trial. Man, that's not just God's mercy in your life but it's mercy in the lives of others. God is fashioning you and he's forming you into a servant so that you will be able to reach the Ammonites or the Amorites in your life. Uh, God, God, God's not willing that any would perish. God wants to use you to be a blessing in the lives of people. He wants to bless you and in you, right? He wants to use you to impact the nations for his glory. Well, that means you're gonna face trial and God's gonna work it for good in your life. First Peter 5.10 tells you that after you've suffered a while, what will God do? Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. This is how we mature. This is why the Apostle Paul, the cry of his heart was that he would know Christ, right? He would know him and the power of his resurrection being made uh, uh, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. 
Again, I've learned that hard times, trials, I don't like them, I never sign up for them on purpose, but when they come, they're also very sweet times. They're times to grow, they're times to learn, they're times to, I mean, these are times of decision. Am I gonna live what I believe? Am I gonna live what I say I believe? Am I gonna draw near to the Lord? Am I gonna trust him to work in and through my life for his glory? At the end of the day, that's the decision of every believer. God allows a horror of great darkness to descend on his people to show them that he's enough, that he will keep his promises, that he will bring them through. I'm telling you, anybody that's gonna impact the lives of people, anybody that's gonna matter in terms of the gospel going to the nations, before God uses them, they're gonna go through some horror of great darkness. They're gonna go through trial and persecution and loss and hardship. Before God, and you'll hear old timers say it this way, before God uses a man, he breaks him. Well, that's welcome to the fellowship of God's suffering. For some people, it's just the opportunities in life that come along that, that you know, you're, you're growing, you're learning your Bible, you're learning how to use it in the lives of people, and, and then you have some, some growth opportunity in some place where there is no discipleship, um, where you're not going to be accountable to learn the word of God, and, and then you find yourself later in life just living your life for yourself, and, and in you, through you, in your life, through your life, the nations of the earth aren't being blessed. No one is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ in terms of you and yours. Um, what happened? Well, the decision was to maybe follow sin for a season or to put off the fellowship of Christ's suffering for a life that you know, ultimately is what you think will make you happy. And, and so God will let you do it. He'll let you have it. And then you find out there's nothing there. And God will even use that for good. He, you know, God's, God's just very patient. He wants to be glorified in our lives. And so whatever comes in your life, he's gonna use that to bring you inexorably to that conclusion. Does that make sense? Father, I pray in Jesus' name, God, help us to see that, Lord, you're at work in the lives of your people. That, Lord, those that that you predestine, you call, and then you justify, and then, Lord, you, glor- you glorify. Lord, we wanna see your glory manifest in and through our life. God, I'm begging that every brother and sister that attends MBT, that's a member here, that they'd have fruit at the judgment seat. And Lord, I know that in using them, you're gonna prepare them, and in preparing them, you're gonna allow them to go through these times of great darkness. Uh, these attacks by the enemy. The, everybody has to go through these things to find out that you're enough, that you keep your promises. And so God, I'm praying that today, if there's anyone today that needs to come back to a place of repentance or come back to a decision that you're calling them to, that they'd find your grace sufficient to just submit to your will over their lives and, and start moving forward in faith. God, I ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.